netcasting from Chicago, Los Angeles, and Sydney. You're listening to this week's FX Podcast from FXGuide.com. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Calafront. Calafront's leading onset dailies and express daily systems deliver integrated production-proven dailies tools with state-of-the-art color and image science, leading camera raw support, and simultaneous faster-than-real-time deliveries in all common file formats. Visit Colorfront.com. Thanks for joining us for this FX podcast. The FX podcast is where we take our passion for visual effects and bring you in-depth interviews with visual effects artists around the world. The FX podcast was started to give us a place to dig deep on the technical side, talk one-on-one with top visual effects artists, advance the craft of visual effects, and pay respect to the hardworking, creative people producing amazing work. This is your chance to hear directly from the source, from the front lines of visual effects. Today we're going to focus on physics and give you a bit of a SIGGRAPH preview. Mike Seymour had a chance to speak with Alejandro Garcia from the Department of Physics and Astronomy at San Jose State University. He's giving a three-hour talk at SIGGRAPH titled Principles of Animation Physics. This is a fundamentals talk about the weight of characters, walk cycles, how important it is to understand the physics of how it's supposed to work, even if you end up breaking every rule in the end. So SIGGRAPH 2012 is in Los Angeles this year, and we'll, of course, be covering the heck out of it, as we always do. It's just such a great place to hear not only how things were done, but how things will be done in the future. We usually have a meetup for FX PhD members somewhere during the week. The new term is underway over at fxphd.com with 84 courses covering all aspects of visual effects. New this term is the option to take two, three, four, five courses. Uh, the normal FX PhD term has always consisted of three courses, but based on feedback we got from our members last term, some people had suggested that when they're busy, they just would prefer to take two classes instead of three, or three, two courses rather, instead of three. So we added that option and just kind of revamped the structure a little bit. So check it out over at fxphd.com. Great lineup, great professors, first-rate professional visual effects training. Take your career to the next level. So let's jump in now to today's interview, Mike Seymour speaking with Alejandro Garcia. So I was really keen to uh, talk to you for a couple of reasons. Firstly, um, I must confess, I just genuinely wanted to do your course, what I saw in the list of things. Um, I have a bit of a background in maths myself, and I've often thought that uh, more understanding of physics is an incredibly beneficial thing to uh, to doing animation in exactly the same way that understanding uh, exactly how a camera should work and how lighting should work is ideal to doing lighting, even if you then deviate from what in fact would be mathematically correct. It's just a great starting point. Oh, absolutely. The, um, uh, the uh, visual effects supervisor for uh, the Kung Fu Panda movies uh, expressed it exactly that same way. He always thinks of lighting from a, a physical point of view and then kind of takes that as, as his starting point. Um, uh, and, you know, he, he knows that things will, will change, but that's how he, he understands lighting. It's, it's a way of, of being able to understand what he's seeing. Uh, um, so. so your course that you're giving at uh, SIDGRAPH, uh, can you just discuss where that came from? Is this the first time that you've given it, or is it built on the work you've done with, uh, with studios and people in the past? Uh, well, the, this is the first time I've given uh, this specific course, uh, but it's based on a course that I give 
at San Jose State, which is actually a full semester course on um, physics uh, for animation artists. And uh, obviously the three-hour course, uh, I have to uh, select uh, sort of the, the highlights. But uh, in the, And in the SIGGRAPH course, I decided to emphasize uh, character animation and character effects animation. Uh, that, that just seemed to be uh, the, the best starting point. Uh, the course at San Jose State, I also get into some uh, effects animation and then also talk about optics uh, as it relates to, to lighting. Um, then uh, I've also done various one-off um, courses uh, as, as well. So, But this is the first time I'm doing this uh, specific one uh, at SIGGRAPH. So for somebody that's... Uh keen to improve their animation skills but maybe a little uh, leaning to the artistic side rather than the mathematical side uh, give us a, a sort of a 1 to 10 on how complicated the math or the sort of formulas will be uh, well in the, uh, in the course yes. there's actually going to be uh, no math at all it's, it's all about the concepts to uh, help uh, animation artists have a, a better understanding of what they're seeing when they're looking at, at motion and have a better feel for what to expect. Uh, I, sort of, I sort of liken it to if you are going to be a doctor, you need to learn anatomy in a very specific, uh, detailed way. If you are an artist, you also find that, that learning anatomy is useful for, say, life drawing, because then you, you more easily recognize muscle, bone groups, and so forth. But, you know, obviously your uh, requirements are different from uh, uh, medical uh, requirements. So, so I, I try to focus on, on those um, concepts and principles. In fact, I specifically call them the principles of animation physics that... Uh, I think are the are the most useful, and the interesting thing is most physicists don't think that much about the math. The math is more of a tool for us. We we spend a lot more time thinking about the ideas. Um, so so that's yeah. It, it's sort of like you know the the math is our is our software, but it's not. It's just a, a tool for getting to what we want. I think a lot of the stuff that you're discussing in the course uh, could be easily characterized as uh, resonating with people from an observational point of view. So I carry many character animators obviously very good at observing the world around them. And some of those things, like the way in a bus, if it breaks, you kind of uh, um, pushed forward and then back with the uh, laws of inertia. Uh, and other ones, I think, maybe are less obvious i think for some people for example the ideas of uh something that's being shot out and falling having a pretty much constant forward uh motion while having a accelerating vertical uh gravity-based acceleration is sort of counterintuitive would you agree that some of these things you can sort of observe easily and some of them seem to be a bit of a oh now i think about it of course that's how it works Right, and, it, and it's even sort of like when you uh, when you think you know what uh, a, a person looks like to draw them, and you're something something's not right until someone points out 
uh, some element of the anatomy, and then you then it suddenly becomes clear. Oh, I see. That's how the that's how the the uh, the bones work. Uh, like for um, uh, you know, looking at at an animal and and thinking about okay, why is it that the that the knees seem to bend uh, in the wrong direction on the on the legs of an animal? Well, that's because you're not looking at the knees. You're actually uh, looking at the ankle, and it's just that the shape of the leg is different on the animal. And then once you understand that, then then it's always uh, obvious what you're what you're seeing. So. Um, uh, no, it's it's true. If if these things were were totally obvious and intuitive, uh, Newton would have um, been in the the time of ancient Egypt. <laughs> so uh, some of the some of the principles are are sort of counterintuitive. But then when you actually use them, you realize, oh, now now it all kind of fits together. It makes sense. So. Let's let's take it a specific example, if we could, just so that people can understand the sort of things you'll be doing. One of the areas, because I've had a chance to look at your uh, a PDF of your course notes, one of the things yeah. that I think was great is your discussion of centre of gravity, and in particular, not just the centre of gravity, but a particularly, I guess, obvious, but I'd never thought of it, idea where you you actually, um, and I think it's you, <laughs> some yeah. either you or some incredibly great uh, person that you roped into it, is standing and you're sort of measuring the weight distribution to get an idea of uh, how center of gravity shifts, but also how that weight ratio changes between left and right foot. Can you just discuss that a bit for us? Oh, yes. And I'm going to do that uh, as a live demo uh, in the class. And that, that, is, that is a photo of me in that. Uh, uh, so, yeah, it's basically a, a pair of what are essentially computerized bathroom scales that just measure directly the, the weight on each foot. And as you change pose, uh, as the center of gravity moves just, just an inch or two uh, towards one side or the other, it's, it's a very noticeable uh, change of weight. Uh, you know, it'll, it'll be like a 50-pound change of weight transfer uh, just from uh, moving an, an inch or two. And then th that makes you realize that when you're looking at the pose, there's a very definite change in the pose that... that uh, reads through the whole body, uh, and uh, it, it, there's there's uh, w one thing that I that I do when I do the the demonstration is uh, say have a, a volunteer stand on the scales, and and we have just a, a regular conversation, and as we're having the conversation, and and you look at the data up on the screen. Of the um, of the weight shift, and and even in an, in an ordinary conversation, you'll see a, a fifty pound shift from uh, one foot to the other in the matter of of a fraction of a second. Uh, so so it's you know so, you know seeing that you animators talk a lot about weight shift, but but actually uh, seeing it live, uh, I've I've discovered really uh, has it hit home. Yeah, there's a great diagram in your work of uh, you, I think it is you standing there with uh, a foot six inches uh, either side of this notional uh, midpoint and of course mm -hmm. that distributes the weight exactly evenly but then as you move, so it's sort of four inches to the left and eight inches to the right, that's a two to one ratio and then three inches yeah. to nine inches which doesn't sound like a lot, you know one more yeah. inch is shifting it to a three to one 
uh, ratio of weight. And that, uh, in every case, of course, it's 180 pounds, but that's a difference between 90 and 90 and 135 and 45. And boy, it's incredibly insightful to also have at the same time that photograph of your body stance. And you can really see that shifting, especially in the hip, in terms of how it's uh, really uh, moved that weight to camera left. Oh, thank you. Thank you. We we did actually, you know, we, we did actually take data and took a lot of photos and uh, corresponding data, and then picked ones that that were uh, good characterizations of those shifts. So so those are all. Um, it's it's not just a separate photo that that I made up the the numbers for. We uh, we we did it with um, uh, you know, with the system, and then also some of the other stuff in there. Uh, we we took data for. Um, like the weight transfer as uh, you're walking and, you know, going from, from heel strike to passing position with the body over the foot and then uh, all the way to, to the toe off. Uh, surprisingly, the, the least amount of weight on the ground is uh, when the body is directly over the foot. Um, the, the the weight is is spiked at the at the heel strike and it spikes again at the uh, at the toe off and um, it actually goes down uh, during the um, uh, and, and it's a very significant amount it, it can be uh, like uh, reduced to to half of the weight uh, going through the passing position. It's really interesting, that isn't it? I, I had totally not anticipated that, and yet, as you say, you've got <laughs> no, nobody <sort> does <laughs> data to show it. But then there's an animator sort of trick of when somebody's fully at the uh, at the other end of the heel down, so just at the second spike, of maybe rolling the knee a bit out. And it makes sense that that was a trick that animators might do because at that point you've again got the full weight on that leg and so extra weight may cause a bit of a movement to the knee uh, out from the from the body line. And, and I love it when an animator's trick that I've certainly learnt but never had any mathematical basis for suddenly starts to be shown, well, okay, that's sort of reason why that would be happening. Yeah, exactly. And um, uh, for for character effects, uh, you know, all of these variations of, of weight are totally reflected in, uh, you know, overlapping actions and um, uh, clothing, hair, etc. So so understanding these these weight variations is, is really essential for them. Um, I don't think you'll be going this far, though. I think you do in your. Um in your work outside SIGGRAPH as to discussing uh, sort of more angular or rotational aspects, uh, rotational mm-hmm. inertia, uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, it must be really interesting to take a bunch of these things and not be looking at them in the, uh, in the sort of neutral uh, environment of a flat ground. I mean, obviously, a lot of these things would change if I was going around a corner or if I was on a moving mm-hmm. platform. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I, I talk a little bit about um, centrifugal uh, force and, and those effects um, uh, in the in the course, but but yeah, I had to sort of limit it to to not get too much into um, uh, rotational inertia, um, angular momentum, uh, so forth. Uh, that that turned out to be really really interesting because um, I don't know if you saw I spent last year uh, working. At uh, DreamWorks Animation Studio here in uh, Redwood Shores, 
And uh, so I did a lot of uh, physics consulting on uh, Madagascar 3. So a lot of the uh, acrobatics uh, work, um, it was really interesting to, to help the animators uh, capture some of those some of those rotations and especially the more complicated um, uh, transitions from um, somersaults to twists and so forth. Um, I mean, the animators are great. They got they got like almost all of it, uh, it great. And and every once in a while, I, I was able to to give them some suggestion or some idea. Well, now now I'm going to impose on our... Uh, we've only just kind of met, and I'm going to impose on our limited friendship and I'll see if I could ask you a question, because there was one thing that I was okay. hoping you would discuss. Um, I kind of know the answer mathematically, but I've found it always impossible to explain to an animator. So imagine for a second, uh, this is a bit of a stretch, that I'm an animator and I'm asking you this question, okay. but one of the really interesting phenomena that, that goes back to our first point about maybe not being so intuitive is uh, the phenomenon that... Uh, figure skater does or certainly you can do it yourself mm -hmm. with a with a chair which is you're spinning yeah. in a chair with your legs out you pull them in and you go faster mm -hmm. now yes. to speed up without touching the ground or pushing off but just because you've no longer got your arms out seems yeah. I, I think to be something that's uh, not obvious when you're animating but of course is in real life exactly how a figure skater, figure skater speeds up <laughs> how would you explain that phenomenon staying away from the formulas uh, to an animator Yes. Uh, well, I, I decided to include that uh, very example at the very end of the of the course. So I'll actually do the demonstration and okay. and uh, say a little bit about it. Uh, I just couldn't. It's just such, such a great uh, example. I couldn't stay away from it. Well, it sounds like we um, rigged this, but yes. that, that was just <laughs> we certainly didn't. But yeah. yeah, go on. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, mathematically, uh, it's a it's a principle of. Um, uh, conservation of, of angular momentum. Part one of the main things is uh, you if it's if we're talking about regular um, linear momentum, what what one usually thinks of of momentum, um, you 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 can't easily change your mass, uh, so you can't you can't really uh, easily change your your um, uh, speed with that. So. Um, one thing about about rotation is that uh, when when you have your weight far away from uh, the axis of rotation, then there's more there's more inertia. Uh, when you bring the weight into the axis, there's there's less inertia, uh, and and that's that's basically the the origin of of this um, uh, rotating faster. Uh, maybe another way to to make it more uh, intuitive is that uh, when you bring the weight in towards the center, you, you don't get that for free. You actually have to exert a force uh, because the, the, if you want to think of it, the, it's as if there's a centrifugal force yep. that you, you, it seems like uh, wants to pull everything out. So you have to actually go against that you have to exert a force over a distance. That um, means you're uh, doing some work, and so you are doing that work, and that allows you to increase your rotational energy. So, um, uh, and then the last thing, which which is I think even uh, perhaps less intuitive, 
is that you can you can reverse this process. So you bring the arms in, you go fast, you bring the arms out, you go right back to your original speed. And you can go in and out, back and forth like that. Uh, um, and of course, this was this was essential in getting the um, somersaults uh, somersaults to look correct because uh, when you go into a tuck, you you have to uh, speed up the rotation, but then coming out of the tuck, uh, you decrease the rotation again. Which is why um, a diver times their coming out of their tuck to make sure that they're sort of vertical for the entry into the water in a, an Olympic dive, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I always thought that it was because, now maybe this is true, but it doesn't sound like it's the same explanation you just gave. I always thought it was more like that, uh, let's say I've got a foot, for example, at the end of my leg that's sitting out from my chair that's spinning. I imagine that that foot is, obviously it wants to go in a straight line, but I'm causing it to turn the corner constantly. So we know why it wants to spin out. In fact, it doesn't want to spin out, it just wants to keep going in a straight line. But but in a sense, it's going a certain distance at a certain speed. And as you say, mass doesn't change. When I bring it in to my body, now it's going a shorter distance. Mass doesn't change. So the only way for that to be in balance, to, for nothing to have changed, is for it to speed up. So it's, yes. in fact, going the same kind of, if there was some sort of weird, simple formula, which it isn't this simple, obviously, as distance and mass, you know, as, mm-hmm. as you and speed, obviously, uh, as one gets... One decreases, the other one goes up. But I hadn't thought of the idea of actually bringing a, a, a something in and exerting a force to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it's, at some point, if you if you want to get uh, really into the details, uh, you you would have to resort to some of the mathematics. But uh, but some of the fun of the time- is being able to articulate it to somebody without their eyes glassing over, which I think is what you. <laughs> From what I've judged from you, from what I've heard of your courses and from what I've seen of your course notes, is exactly what you do. I mean, you do a lot of discussion of pelvises and arms and not a lot of Newton's, you know, and, and, and uh, sort of physics formulas. Uh, right. And, and actually what I find is that uh, because animators are such keen observers of motion that when you explain something to them about motion that uh, they've maybe struggled with, the, they're very receptive. They're very um, interested in this. Uh, it, it's not as uh, not the same audience when I have a, a bunch of engineering students and I'm and I'm telling them about about rotation and then they they don't really care that much because it's not that particularly relevant to them in their career at that point. But um, but for animators, they, uh, they they're the most keen observers of, of motion on the planet. And you actually get uh, and, into and the directors, and I should say the directors are incredible. Uh, they uh, they have a very keen eye for for motion. You also get into quite subtle stuff to do with walk cycles, don't you? In terms of uh, speeding up and slowing down, and and how those walk cycles work, not just in terms of how they are, in terms of uh, forces going up, as we discussed with the knee, but actually just speed of actions and arms. And uh, uh, I think in one part you discuss passing position and how it slows in and slows out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, and um, uh, you know, unfortunately, even in a in a three hour course, I can only spend a, a bit of time on on walks. Uh, I spend a, a whole week in my uh, uh, semester course uh, on, on walks, and then another week on on jumps. Um, but I, you know, I tried to I tried to hit the uh, hit the highlights, uh, things which I thought were 
were most useful that, that I'd gotten the best feedback. I'm interested about. to know what animators said to you was a problem for them, but from a casual observer, not being a full-time animator or anything like that, I would say that the number one criticism I hear when people say they thought a character was unrealistic is that it had the wrong weight, that it didn't have weight, especially, you know, because a lot of time we're doing things that aren't people, they're kind of monsters or larger versions of people, superheroes, whatever. And it's, it's a criticism you often hear, it doesn't have weight. Is that what, is that what animators tell you that they would like to solve? Um, oh, absolutely. Uh, and, and it's really more of a, of a challenge for the... Um, a junior animator, or student, student animators. Um, as as animators gain more experience, they they are much better at at catching those nuances. Uh, and and part of the problem, in my opinion, is that they're thinking of it the the wrong way. It's it's not the weight; it's the variation in weight, and and feeling that variation. Uh, as the character is moving, so um, you know the uh, even even when when the character is standing still, there's uh, everything which has to do with the weight and the and the weight that's shifting between uh, the feet and how that is reflected in the pose. Uh, but then it's especially highlighted when the character is moving because uh, there's actually quite a bit of weight variation as the character is moving and that has to be reflected in in every every little nuance of their of their motion so uh, there's all these little uh, accelerations decelerations and and all of them have to come together and appear as as weight um, it's it's almost like the difference between um, being a mime and trying to uh, pretend that you're pushing something and actually pushing something. Uh, you know, the, the muscles will actually uh, see an exertion. Uh, the, the acceleration that you get from the uh, reaction force that pushes back on you when you try to push something, uh, that's, the, that's the weight that, uh, that they need to capture. Now, while I've gone to great lengths to point out this isn't going to be a maths fest, I think we should also point out that you are a university professor, research scientist. You, you talk and publish in much more mathematically friendly environments. I think you've spoken at symposiums on rarefied gas dynamics and all sorts of things. Yes. So, so while you're, you're limiting the, the maths in the SIDGRAPH presentation, as you've alluded to, a lot of this is really heavily based in a proper understanding of what is really happening. Yes, and and it's um, you know not it, it would actually be much easier to to uh, teach this with the math. Uh, it, it's uh, not so easy to to take the math out and capture um, all the all the essential parts. So, um, and the the reason that I teach the course uh, without the uh, for artists is that at San Jose State our animation program uh, is within uh, the uh, arts and humanities. So it's is really targeted for, uh, for those artists. So that's, that's the audience that I've had here at San Jose State. So that's what I well, had the SIGGRAPH course for. So let's, let's cover a couple of ways that people can uh, catch up. Firstly, when is exactly your SIGGRAPH speech uh, 
so that people can, if they're going to SIDGRAPH, follow up on that? Okay, it is uh, the first, yes, it's um, the first uh, day of SIGGRAPH on the Sunday uh, that afternoon. Um, so I, I think it's 1 to one to 4 or one thirty to 5, I forget the exact time. But it's the, in the afternoon sessions of the uh, first day of SIGGRAPH, the, the Sunday of, of SIGGRAPH. Yeah, and uh, that Sunday is uh, is actually fully part of the SIGGRAPH program now, which is um, sort of slightly misleading. I think some people think it starts on the Monday, but yes, yeah. you're um, the uh, the there's some really good stuff happening as early as the Sunday, and and certainly yours in the afternoon will be um, will be really great. Uh, I actually think I have that time for you now. Actually, it's uh, I've got it down as being um, uh, starting at two and going to five fifteen. That sounds right, yeah. Um, and then if people aren't going to SIDGRAPH, um, maybe they could uh, go to your website. Do you want to tell us where your, your website is? Uh, yes. So um, my main website is uh, algarcia.org. So uh, there I have um, all of my um, uh, things, both both my research stuff and, and um, uh, teaching so, so there they can. Um, uh, I have the uh, set of, of the course notes. So I've written those up. It sounds like that's what you were yeah. you were reading earlier. Um, now I'm also uh, working on the final version of the of the slides, and those will be annotated. Uh, so th- there will be more material in that than than in those. Um, course notes it'll be a little more amplified so so i'll put those um on my site uh, as soon as I, I get those finished probably a a week or two before the meeting itself and and then that they'll be there the whole time uh, uh i, I must admit that, one of the things i loved on your site is that diagram that i think you've just got there for uh for interest level but it's a perspective um ball arc and i've never seen that perspective oh, ball yeah. arc so well done though i must admit noticing that you're a bit of a golf uh, fanatic. I was surprised <laughs> that it was a baseball and not a golf ball that was uh, mapping that path. Uh, I, I thought about doing a golf ball, but it was just too hard to see it. Uh, but uh, yeah, I should, um, I should. Also, a lot of the time when I play golf, I slice, so I'd have to add that uh, okay. <laughs> that, that horizontal component to it. <laughs> um, so. And uh, and of course, after SIDGRAPH, uh, sometimes the courses are available uh, for download if you've uh, either got the DVD from the SIDGRAPH or, um, or can follow up a little bit like a month sometimes after the thing. You can actually buy it online and, and download, which is the audio of you speaking and, um, and the slides, though I can't say with any certainty what the URL is for that, but I know I've, having been to SIDGRAPH, I've done that myself a couple of times, even to courses that I've uh, gone to. Um, well, look, uh, it's great that you're doing this, and I really uh, encourage people to go along because I always think that the more you understand what's going on, it's a bit like an artist understanding their brushes and their inks. It's not that isn't the end game, but it, boy, does it help if you know how your paints are mixed together to produce some um, good final quality pictures. Yes, yes, and and um, one one thing I do want to make sure is clear is that the the objective of all this is not that. Uh, more realistic is necessarily better. You know, the, the artists and directors have to decide what they want uh, for the story they want to tell, for the, for the film that they're doing. 
and they have to make all those decisions. So, so uh, for me, I, I think it's just to, you know, if you, if you want uh, a sequence that uh, is, happens to be uh, closer to uh, believable, um, realistic um, physics, and that, that's what works, then I think this can help you do it. If you want to, uh, I love Roadrunner and Wiley e. Coyote, so uh, I have no problems with uh, with any of those. And you know, a lot of the time, the, the the gags work because of that the manipulation of of how the the rules are broken. Uh, so uh, I'm not I'm not preaching that um, uh, realism makes better animation. Oh, I, look, I would go further than that, and I would point to modern art. I, I often use this reference. That I don't think Picasso could have done the surrealist work that he did had he not had his blue and rose period where he was doing more realistic painting. I think you need to understand reality before you can uh, bend it in a way that is uh, truly wonderful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I totally I, agree. Okay, well, thank you. Um, well, thanks yeah. so much for taking time to talk to us. We really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. And, and uh, I have to say, I saw your... Uh, a brave um, podcast about hair, and uh, that was really good. I, I enjoyed that uh, quite a bit. Uh, I'm going to be doing a class on the physics of hair uh, for DreamWorks while I'm down for SIGGRAPH, and um, so that was some some very interesting um, uh, information. So. It is fascinating when uh, when you approach approximating something so complex and trying to work mm, out mm. what it is and uh, I particularly liked uh, Pixar's solution of just changing the laws of gravity <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and I uh, after hearing that I thought about it and I, I understand basically how how that worked and why that why that made sense so uh, but well, that, that uh, well, would take you, now you have go to, into a longer calculation. Well, you have to give me so. some indication of why you think that worked. So, so just to back up for people that didn't hear that podcast, the, the premise of hair uh, is a problem to do with weight. And one of the points that we were discussing with the head of simulation from the uh, Pixar team was the fact that they couldn't change the mass or they didn't want to change the mass of the hair, that the uh, hair was modelled by a series of points and springs. Um, and their solution, because weight is a function of um, gravity and mass, was not to play with the mass, but was to change with the gravity. And so they ended up with a gravitational uh, sort of coefficient. It was much closer to the moon than Earth. And this meant that the hair didn't float like it was underwater, but also didn't uh, unravel and just pull out the curls under the weight of its own um, hair. And I, I intimated that I thought one of the reasons for that was the self-supporting structure of curly hair. But if you've got a better insight, I'd love to hear oh. it. No, no, the, you're you're absolutely right because uh, effectively the the multiple interactions of of hair uh, are somewhat like a like an internal repulsive force that that uh, sustains the hair and keeps it keeps it separated. Uh, there's a um, one of the few articles in the physics literature on uh, human hair. There's actually more articles on on hair and black holes than there is uh, <laughs> uh, human hair. But uh, there was a recent <laughs> one in in Physical Review Letters where they um, did uh, analysis of uh, ponytails and the shape of of ponytails, and they found that there was a uh, like an what, what essentially is modeled 
as um, a repulsion that's like a like a pressure term that that keeps the the hair separated and gives it gives it some body. So um, what I think they were they were doing by lessening some of the gravity was basically that uh, the net force is uh, the gravity plus this um, uh, repulsive effect that that keeps the weight the 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 hair from just collapsing. Now, now, to be clear about so. this, we're not talking about an electromagnetic uh, repulsion in a uh, sense of two negatives. We're talking about yeah. more of a an equivalency described as repulsion based on Ex- structure. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. So it's just just hairs touching other hairs. Um, there's there's all the frictional effects, uh, elasticity effects, all of these things where um, uh, if you if you just model it down to the to the individual hairs, you capture that. But when you when you model it more at, at, a, at a larger scale structure, uh, the smaller scale is is effectively uh, like that. Um, it's sort of like the pressure the pressure in a gas. You don't you don't see the individual molecules exerting the atmospheric pressure, but they their their collective effect uh, produces this this force. So. So anyway, as I said, this is in um, uh, physical review letters uh, a few months ago. Uh, so It is astounding how uh, a simple thing like hair can both take on so many different aspects of uh, research and, quite frankly, vary so much, But as that podcast discussed, between the attributes mm-hmm. of curly hair and straight hair, yet alone, uh, you know, different, uh, other different aspects. And certainly oh, yeah. there's a ton of papers on the light light of hair, light, way that light reacts with <laughs> hair, which is just fascinating. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, again, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. All right. Well, thanks for that. This uh, kicks off our SIGGRAPH coverage. It's already begun with uh, this podcast. And also, there's a written article that goes along with this podcast with some images and some links. There's also a quick take over on the site titled, It's Art, It's Science, SIGGRAPH 2012 Preview, um, that you might want to check out, give you just kind of a brief introduction to some of the things coming up at SIGGRAPH. And like I said, we'll be there in force to bring you reports from SIGGRAPH and gather content for some of our other podcasts and, uh, and projects. Before we close out, I'd like to thank our FX Insider members who support the site through their contributions. As a thanks for donations made as part of the FX Insider program, we give access to exclusive additional content, things like member-only articles, additional effects breakdowns, and more. Details can be found over at fxguide.com. Click the FX Insider tab. In addition to this FX podcast, we do two other regular audio podcasts. First is the VFX Show, which reviews visual effects in current releases as well as in classic films. With a slate of films scheduled for this summer, well worth checking out some of the commentary and review and discussions about in-depth visual effects in the VFX Show. We also produce the RC Podcast, which covers the ever-changing landscape of digital cinematography. And if you enjoyed this podcast, we'd also recommend checking out our HD video podcast, FX Guide TV. Also, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, we have a sister site, fxphd.com, that offers extensive online visual effects training. Well, that'll do it for this FX podcast. For my partners, John Montgomery and Mike Seymour, this is Jeff Huser. We'll see you on the next FX podcast. Mm-hmm. 
please let us know if you have any suggestions for stories or future podcasts. You can reach us by clicking the Contact Us link at the top of the homepage. This podcast is copyright FX Guide, LLC. Broadcast or redistribution is prohibited without the expressed written consent of FX Guide.